Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd, sitting in for Gab. He did warn you he wouldn't be here. And I'm joined in the studio by Tony Evans and Rory Smith and no one else. We're aiming for a vibe of elite intimacy. We'll be discussing all things European and the importance, or otherwise, of the Under-21 European Championships this June. But first, let's review the Harry Kane show. Now, Rory, when you did the um, ratings for the players at mm. Wembley, I did note a spot of sarcasm when you came to rate no. Harry Kane. I'm guessing that's because, I think you said something like three touches, piffle. But um, did you feel he should have started? No, I think Hodgson actually did the right thing. I think that for, for too long with England, there's been this thing where as soon as a player does well, everyone says, oh, he's got, to, he's got to be in the team. And that's not how international football works. You don't just pick the 11 best players at that point. You build a team to try and do something in two years' time or four years' time. So I think Hodgson made the right decision. I think you should blood him. He obviously deserves to be in the squad. But you, you blood him kind of later. You ease him in a little bit. But I just, I, there's just there's a part of me that just thinks that this whole story is a little, a little bit unrealistic now, the Harry Kane thing. There's a major knee injury and a loan spell at Nottingham Forest <laughs> in the future. <laughs> and it's going to be really tragic. Because it is, it's, getting, it's becoming ridiculous. It was a sell-out Wembley crowd, Tony. Isn't Roy under some obligation in a game that England are going to win without trying too hard to please the crowd and give them the new boy wonder from no, the start? I, th- I think he did. I mean, for once, I agree with Rory. It was the right thing to do to bring him on. And I think he'll get his full debut against Italy. And that's good. I mean... And, you know, he's been great. And perhaps he's not going to cure cancer. He's not going to, you know, the way he's been hyped. But he's a good player and he'll score goals for a long time, assuming he doesn't get the knee injury and ends up at Forest on loan. But, <laughs> this is annoying when you're both agreeing with each other, <laughs> but I quite like 4-3-3. I mean, it's a reasonable uh, formation, but it, it does restrict Roy when he has a reasonable wealth of attacking talent suddenly. And we know what Ro- well, Rooney well, can well, do well, in that well, formation. Well, why? I mean, you would, does he need to do, like, five up front? Do we need to go back to the old days of the, the, the 2 three, five? Yeah, We you play the, the WM. WM. You know, I mean, he, he has got a wealth of attack and talent. And you've got to juggle it and you've got to try and get a balance. And I think Welbeck is certainly worth his place because he stretches the game with his pace, which obviously Kane doesn't do. I think Sterling was worth his place because he'll run at people, especially teams like Lithuania, which are you know marginally better than Sunday League. So he let them. So I mean, yeah, I think he got the right balance in the first game. For once, I thought I thought well, he did all right. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that there is. I think I know where you're coming from, Anderson, because 
Although I, I do think Roy, Roy was right, and I think he, it is right that he is trying to dampen down the buzz and the hype. Just a little bit. It was only Lithuania, and you, I was at the press conference on Thursday at the Grove, and they were sort of saying, him and Rooney were saying, oh, you know, international football's different, you know, you've got to be careful. And you sort of think, yeah, it's, it's different because it's a lot easier. You, he could have played Kane against Lithuania, he could have started him, it wouldn't have made a vast amount of difference to the results against Lithuania, and maybe that would have given the crowd what they wanted. But at the same time, for Harry Kane to come on after, what, 71 minutes and get a standing ovation from the crowd before he'd even played for England. That must have felt pretty good for Harry Kane. It gave everyone that moment. It meant that you could kind of get the game won and then you have your little kind of cameo from the superstar. What, the is it, what, did, what does it say about England fans and the state of the English game that there's this absolute desire to have a, a hero? The way England fans have sort of piggybacked onto the he's one of our own that the Tottenham fans sing, it's as though there's a yearning for some sort of pure new player who has nothing to do with the World Cup fiasco that we can mm. suddenly build our dreams around. I, th- I think it's more than that. I think it's the way he looks. You know, he looks like a Roy of the Rovers character, doesn't he? He looks, he looks like a quintess- He looks quintessentially <laughs> English, you know. It's like, he, you know, he's a... Uh, and he's come along. But you know what? The interesting thing about it is he's, he's a hero with a bit of validity because he's actually done something before he got picked for England. I mean, you had people getting promoted when they barely come out of the youth team. They've had 20 good minutes and they're in the side. You know, it's... Um, you know, T.L. Woodcock was 16 and he was going to reinvent the world, you know. So we've got a fully formed player here, and I don't mind it. I like Harry Kane. I'm not going to be part of the Harry Kane backlash. I'm telling you now, at least not today. <laughs> it will come. You're right, though. Do you think Do you think he's... Is he as close... To, to, what's a, one thing that always strikes me with, with Gerrard is that 25, 30 years ago, Gerrard would have been really popular amongst fans of clubs who weren't Liverpool because he's a one-club mm. man, sort of the Brian Robson kind of captain fantastic thing. But because it's the modern era and we're much more tribalistic and everyone's much more kind of divided, everybody who doesn't support Liverpool hates Stephen Gerrard, as that sort of insists that he's overrated, that there's some sort of media agenda to kind of praise him and lionise him as much as possible, all this stuff. I think Kane is pretty much universally liked. Yeah, and it's also upside plays for Tottenham and not a threat to anyone. That's probably true. So I think if we take Arsenal fans out of it, who it's understandable mm. that Arsenal fans might not like Harry Kane, the Tottenham superstar. I think everybody likes Harry Kane and everyone likes the story of Harry Kane, which is great, but it won't last. No what's question. Go- okay, what's going to happen to Harry Kane then? Why well, won't it last? Assuming that the... And I, I don't want it to happen, I'm not wishing it ill on him. Assuming that the, the sort of tragic end where he, he gets a serious knee injury and then ends up playing on loan at Forest. Assuming that doesn't happen, there will come a point where Harry Kane has scored so many goals for Spurs, as Evo says, that they, they become a threat to people. And at that point, you'll get people saying, no, I don't like Harry Kane. Cocky. <laughs> mm. Thinks he's all and, that. And, and, and also, you know, you, you look, he signed a new contract, he's done it. There's no fuss around on yeah. like Raheem Sterling, is there? You know, he's a good, solid Englishman. Oh, we were talking about this at Wembley on Friday night. I don't, this is terrible, to be honest. I don't actually know who Harry Kane's agent is, which is remarkable for an England international for you not to know who his agent is. Yeah, funnily enough, that's, I don't either. It shows how unprofessional we are, but it speaks volumes for his professionalism that you mm. don't need to know who Harry Kane's agent is. Does he just got that contract done? Like that, it was just done, yeah. and that's that speaks really well of it. Mm. Well, it's a bit of a veer, but let's cover the Sterling can contract, we, seeing as you've brought we, it up. Can we just ask um, Harry Kane's agent to get in touch if he's listening, so he can tell us who he is? Yeah, and you know we're, we're happy to do an exclusive with you <laughs> and, and sort of that sort of stuff. Okay, uh, we're talking Sterling. of agents and Sterling. Yes. It, it, it suddenly feels very natural to, yeah. to segue well, into this. Well, Raheem Sterling, he was asking £140,000 a week from Liverpool, which was a problem on higher money than Sturridge. Liverpool are never going to do that. They were offering a hundred grand, and this is uh, going to be a standoff. I think it lends in tears, but probably for both parties. His first deal 
was done badly. He was only on thirty grand a week when he was playing almost every game, and and he was he was young and he was getting run into the ground, and he should have been on around fifty. Especially as people like Stuart Downham were in the team were on over seventy, so you can see there's a lag to make up there. But he's being poorly advised. What what he should be looking at is to get to do a deal on hundred and twenty, which I'm sure Liverpool will go with, and get a small buyout in his contract, maybe forty five, which would give him options if things go wrong at Liverpool. But you know you see all the the background noise in the papers there's briefings I, I, I don't think Liverpool are inclined to deal the way he wants the deal set up uh, if you if you were an agent in any business any walk of life a kind of someone tasked with negotiation the first rule is that you play the man not the game you play your opponent the kind of the actual negotiation itself doesn't matter you you have to understand your opponent Raheem Sterling's representatives have shown a total inability to understand Liverpool's approach to these things. Now, Liverpool don't pay big, generally. And they, you, you could make an argument that FSG probably pay too little to try and compete, and they are maybe a little bit stingy in negotiation. There's probably, mm. There is probably an argument there to be made, and that, I, I wouldn't object to that at all. But for Sterling's people to be negotiating in public so transparently is a huge tactical error unless he wants to go. And you see these stories come out about once a week. He turns down so many contracts, Raheem Sterling, it's remarkable. He's wonder he's got time to do anything else. <laughs> Saying, oh, you know, threat from abroad, Liverpool could see Sterling poached by, by continental giant. Raheem Sterling does not get in Real Madrid, Barcelona or Bayern Munich's team. That is just a fact. No matter how, how good you think he is, he doesn't get near those teams at all. Not yet. Maybe two or three years' time. Not convinced he would even then, to be honest. Chelsea, not sure. Could play instead of Willian, maybe. I think Mourinho really likes Willian. He's not as good as Hazard, is he, Sterling? So he's not I, getting in, in I think the in thought there. process is that City are going to need youth, an English youth, pretty soon. And there's, there's a hope that he'll end up at City. Um, good luck. But the, that's the thing, isn't that Liverpool showed with the with the Suarez thing with Arsenal that they're not that they will not be bounced into a deal. And I think that is what Sterling's people have, have, have are kind of failing to understand. I'd be inclined, as you say, to either sign a contract with a low, with a lower release clause. For a bit less money, or maybe even to recognise that that he's twenty, that one hundred and twenty grand a week or whatever isn't bad money really, and that perhaps he's in quite a good place to develop because he will play regularly. And in two or three years' time, when he's Liverpool's main man, that is when he will get the the fifty, well, sixty million pound move to Real Madrid, Barcelona, or Bayern, where he wouldn't get in the team then either. There's a feeling at Liverpool that they have nurtured a troubled soul in Raheem Sterling. There was a point at which he was being written off, and I think the argument would be from Liverpool's point of view is we have nurtured him, we have seen him through his difficult teen years and there's a feeling he ought to reward the club for doing oh, that oh, I, or, well, or, I, I, or are his, his agents thinking that shouldn't have come out he doesn't owe anyone anything I don't think he owes anyone anything and certainly in terms of nurturing I think playing him as a wing back to accommodate Emre Jean is a complete and utter waste of resources but it's a business. Let, let's all be honest. It's a business, and players deserve to earn the money they're getting, given the income that's coming into the clubs. I don't think Liverpool nature and Liverpool have used them for their own ends. And from his point of view, I can see, you know, that he, he deserves more money. I don't think at the moment he's being played to his, his best effect by Liverpool. But on the other hand. I just think you've got to think long-term and not short-term. I don't think he owes the club anything. I don't think the club owe him anything. I think, as Tony says, it's a business. They've benefited from his development and he has benefited from the environment that they have provided for his development. It's a straight swap. So I think what you what you now have to do is is look kind of sensibly at what at what your best option is. And to be honest, I don't think... and I, I, It's not for us to tell anyone how to do their jobs, but it, I think he's, he's been incredibly poorly advised. And I think and there's a the massive the opportunity for him next year because for the first time in what... 
probably since Billy Little. Liverpool don't have a talismanic player on the pitch. You don't have someone that you identify immediately. You know, uh, the captain's leaving. And they're going to need a superstar to fill that vacuum. Is it going to be Sturridge, who spends a lot of time out injured? The club think it is. But that's uh, that's an opportunity for Sterling to become a... Uh, you know, sort of one of the big names in Europe, people who identify him immediately with the club. I don't think he'd find that at City. Uh, another England player who might have um, to deal with contract issues is Welbeck, who seems to be suddenly labelled one of those players who doesn't produce for club but does for country. I like the idea that um, Roy Hodgson sticks with him because he works for him in his team. And I think if I was an England manager, I would want the people I know I can work with and who do what I want them to do. And I would care not quite so much about how they're performing week in, week out. As long as they were playing, as long as they did well for me, I'd be happy. And I think there was a lot of pressure on Welbeck before the game against Lithuania, which England won 4-0, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. And um, there was pressure on him because people were thinking, no, why is he sticking with Welbeck? He never scores any goals. I think that's probably of all the players who are playing for Hodgson, that, that he was the one under most pressure against Lithuania at Wembley because he's, he's got that tag of teacher's pet a little bit and he, he came up trumps and he was many people's man of the match. Was he your man of the match, Rory? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. He doesn't score many goals for, for his club, to be honest. And there are times when, when you watch Welbeck and you think he will do anything he can not to score. He finds <laughs> new and exciting ways not to score as often as possible. But he is at the same time, I think, the leading scorer in qualification for Euro 2016 in Europe. Yeah. Yes. So he scores for England. Now that's okay. Why? Why? Why well, because is that? The, the team that oh, it's he's easier international level people against the worst. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, he does. He does a job. He does a job in that, he, and he does it really well. And there are times where he kind of skins defenders, and he's he's got that pace and that power that that he doesn't show as often as he kind of should do. But he does work in that system. Do you, well, do you think Wenger's system uh, doesn't suit him? He kind of pushes him out wide, doesn't he? And, well, he's playing the same role for England, but I think the problem with Arsenal is that it's a bit congested. They're, they're now playing with that sort of four-one-four-one. Mm. So you've got Özil, Sanchez, Ramsey, Welbeck, or Oxley Chamberlain, or whatever. There's a lot of them kind of competing for the same for the same space. Mm-hmm. But no, I think Wel- Wel- Welbeck is just one of those players. I think he's one of those players that he's he's a, a very good footballer. He's not a great footballer. He's never going to be England's the first name on the team sheet, but. He's extremely useful in that role. His pace stretches people, and yeah. particularly stretches bad teams. Yeah. Be interesting to see how he how he does against better quality opposition. Mm. I would say with Welbeck. Now, and better quality opposition is most people would agree Italy, especially in Italy. We're recording this on Monday. England are playing on Tuesday night, so some of you might be listening when England have won eight nil, and it's wow. But it's quite clear, Hodgson prioritised the Lithuania game, the qualification game. As long as he has everyone he wants there, he doesn't matter who goes back to their clubs to prepare for the next weekend's Premier League games. Is that a mistake, Tony? No, I don't think so. It keeps the club managers happy and it gives them a chance to play Harry Kane. The interesting thing about the, the qualification group is so easy that you learn nothing from it. The friendlies this, this year, Italy, Ireland and then France later on where you're going to learn more and I think the perverse thing is the way UEFA have set this up. They've turned friendlies into something more worthwhile against well, the better judgments. Well I don't know that's true. I think England's qualification process is incredibly boring. No one, no one's arguing that. But pretty much every other group is quite interesting. It is understandable that he wanted to play the full strength side against Lithuania but at the same time, I think at some point we all have to stop pretending that... And I, I have great respect for Lithuania as a nation. Uh, but at some point we all have to stop pretending that these teams... That England need to be full strength to play these teams. He, he probably will learn more against the Italians and the French and the Irish. Although I haven't said that the Italians are just as weak as England will be. So it may well be that no one learns anything on Tuesday night. But my view is that the way England played against Lithuania, excepting it was only Lithuania, I don't think football's the 
It's the number, number two sport. Number two sport in Lithuania. England were playing with smiles After on their faces. Baiting. <laughs> they were playing with smiles on their faces. There seemed to be touch more cohesion than is normal in an England team. I don't know why Tony's laughing. Because but, um, he's got all Farage on us, suggesting <laughs> that bear beating is the Lithuanian national sport. Not... Can we just clear up the fact that Lithuania, they don't love bear baiting. Their number one sport is... Basketball. Thank you, Rory. But I was going to say that I liked the attitude of England. There was a sense of cohesion, that they were a unit. I'd have thought the most important thing from an England manager's point of view and the England supporter's point of view is you keep all of those players together, you do it all over again, away from Wembley, against a team of a higher calibre, even if Italy are going to be under strength on Tuesday night. It, it, they're still Italy and it's, it's still in Turin. And I don't know, I think it's all very well saying, oh, let's keep the, the club managers happy, but it's sending out a message. It'll be here before we know it, Euro 16. And it's only going to work if people start prioritising their country. And for goodness sake, it's only a couple more days with the international team. You, neither of you seem to agree that that would be the yeah, correct I, approach. Yeah, I think, well, I think we'll probably come on to this a bit later in terms of the 21s. There is a, probably a, an issue with how we all treat international football. But then international football doesn't help itself because it's quite dull. Uh, and I think we've done very well to get 20 minutes out of talking about it. But it's not dull. It's not dull when it comes to the business end, which is the tournament. No, it, that's true. That's uh, true. It's not dull in And the if you don't take it seriously in the build-up to that tournament, then you're going to get knocked out early. Well, but then at the same time, you can make the argument that the, the, the style in which you qualify is irrelevant to how you perform in the tournament. The Italians, for example, never used to qualify well, and they would always invariably do extremely well in it's tournaments. It's the Hegelian escalator approach to football. Absolutely, yes. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's, the, that's what you don't get on Football Weekly. <laughs> Right. Well, it, this doesn't bode well, seeing as uh, Rory's already said uh, that uh, international football's boring. But any other Euro 2016 business chaps, I'll kick it off with Gareth Bale, who, for some bizarre reason, is having his car attacked. He got zero in one of the uh, Spanish papers for his performance in the um, the game against Barcelona, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what, sometimes we think we're a bit extreme, but that is ludicrous. And uh, yet again, he's a player who was under a bit of pressure and uh, his performance for Wales was full of joy and two fantastic goals. He led the team without being arrogant about it. I covered Wales many, many moons ago in the days when you'd go on a trip with, with Wales and all you'd get from anyone involved in that, in that country setup was, well, it's not fair because everyone loves rugby, no one loves football and uh, it's just not, you know, it's just no one cares. We, we just can't get the support. The Welsh supporters are out in force. The team is uh, household names. Okay, you get the odd blip in defence, but it's it on the whole. On the whole, the Welsh team, you think, golly, they could do something. Tony, yeah, they've done all right, haven't they? Bale's a genuine superstar. You know, he's a he's a fantastic player. Uh, got that pace, and he scored. You know, the goals were were, were typical. Um, Ramsey's a very good player in there. Uh, I mean, they're doing well, and be fantastic to see them qualify. It's 1958 was the last time, wasn't it? So they qualified for a tournament. That'd be a fantastic well, no, story. No, that's what I mean about when, for a start, when we say that the, the, the qualification campaign has been ruined by the expansion of the tournament with 24 teams, it hasn't. Across Europe, those sorts of nations, the sort of second tier, in football terms, second-rate nations, who are the majority of European countries, it's fascinating for them. Even the, even the Lithuanians, as bad as they were, I was speaking to one of their journalists before the game, they were saying that they could still make third place. If Slovenia slip up, they could get into a, a playoff spot. So... I think we have to accept that it is boring for England, but pretty much every other group is interesting. There's a lot more nations who now might qualify, and the Welsh, like the Scots and like the Irish and the Northern Irish, are all benefiting from that. They could legitimately get to a major tournament. But the best story in Europe is Albania. Because? Because Albania are pretty much guaranteed at least the playoff spot, but they could yet take 
an actual automatic spot and get to a major finals. And they're quite a good team, the Albanians, despite the fact there's been loads of kind of emigration to Switzerland and half the Swiss team's Albanian or Kosovar Albanian. The Albanians are a great story. And that's what's, that's what's brilliant about this expanded tournament. And from a big nation point of view, the qualification campaign, once the Germans and the Dutch and the Spanish all get their knitters untwisted, they will all qualify easily. England will qualify easily. All these countries will get out of the groups easily. And it will be a bit boring for all of us. But football doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to the big nations. It belongs to everybody. And suddenly, if you're Albanian or you're Welsh or you're a Lithuanian bear beta or if you're kind of from, I don't know, Sweden or Denmark, you know, Norway, Croatia, Slovenia, all these countries have now got a realistic chance of, some, of having something to play for. And some of them will get to the last 16 in Euro 2016. And it will be massive for them. So it's, it is an interesting process, just not if you're from a big nation. But there's enough benefits to being from a big footballing nation. We don't need more. Tony, That's what, my what, end of the business. What, that, that, that was lovely. I have a feeling you're going to say nothing, but something must have grabbed your attention over the uh, three days of You must have liked the goalie getting hit by a flare. Oh, you had the goalie getting hit by a flare, and, the, and then the players sort of brawling afterwards. I mean, you know, Well, what was interesting about that, that's the Russia-Montenegro game, mm-hmm. was that the referee took them in at half-time, and he, he made it a 30-minute half-time team talk, and mm-hmm. I wasn't there, but I am suspecting that he said to the players, look, that was an isolated incident... But there's a possibility that it could all kick off. What I really need from you is if there's any more objects hurled, that you keep your cool, that you don't act like children on the pitch. I'm going to keep you sat here until we all agree that that's important. And the players go, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And there's a coin thrown from the crowd and they all start handbags at dawn. That's when you've got to start feeling sorry for referees. He did his utmost, that referee, to keep that game going. And... Mm. He asked for the players to help him, and they did not. Well, funnily enough, I thought um, Russia were well thought of there, so I didn't see it as a flashpoint game. You wouldn't, um, you wouldn't I don't know, you, it's not one of those that you depict as being an automatic trouble spot, would you? No. Montenegro and Russia. But, I don't know, but it Mont- was just one idiot who handed himself in to police afterwards, which is jolly decent of him, mm. took his lawyer said it was me, what threw that flare. Mm. I mean, it's pretty dramatic. It was from an upper tier, so it mm. had a long way to travel, and the last person to see it was the goalkeeper. I like the fact that after that happened, one of the 24-hour rolling news channels was showing a montage of the best moments where players have been hit by flares. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really responsible thing to do. What were the other ones? Dida in the oh, Milan Derby Dida, yeah, got yeah. one right in the face. It was and ten then, years ago. Ten years ago. There were, a couple, there were a couple of others, I forget what they were, but... Um, yeah, Dida was the Dida is the is the is the standard bearer. But it might have saved Capello because I assume Tell you what, hasn't they will get the aged well. Hasn't he aged well, Capello? Are you, are you hinting he might use certain hair products? No, but I just think he, he looks in good nick, doesn't he? I mean, he's a completely irrelevant, outdated manager, but he does look in good nick. It, it, you know, so it's, it's not like he's working for a living. No, is that's it? true. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, he can spend all his day in the gym preening himself, using using da- hair dye and things like that. You know, what I mean, it's... collecting art, loves to collect art. He does. Yeah, yeah he's um, and, and social climb. Yeah, he does like he likes to social climb, and he likes to count his money as well. But mm. he had an appalling World Cup campaign. He did, He's and it's on a real an enormous shame. amount of money. He's not popular in Russia, but and you, yet... Again, you're hitting. So Hiddink's in charge mm. of the Dutch, who are, are awful, who needed, a, a, like, an 89th minute goal or something yeah, to get yeah. a point against the Turks. Yeah. Dutch Hiddink, who, who's for, like, 20 years been this kind of, oh, Dutch Hiddink's an amazing manager, he's one step too far. It's the same with Capello. Capello was one of the best managers in the world for 10, 15 years, and he is ruining his legacy because he doesn't know when to retire. 
He's not leaving his legacy. His legacy will go on to his children, and it'll be like huge. Don't back up a securicle, kind of. They'll uh, <laughs> shovel money in. They'll say, "Here's your legacy. Here's your legacy." So no, he's not ruining his legacy. He's coining it in. And so your theory, Rory, that this is um, expanding the the Euros is is lovely. And Gibraltar, who sang, "We're going to pretend we scored a goal," actually scored a goal against Scotland. I see. I think that's slightly pathetic that a nation oh. celebrates scoring a goal. That na- that's, that all nation. They, that's all they want to do is score a goal. But it's a tiny I- nation that's dropped more monkeys than people. So it shouldn't be in the tournament. It should be in the tournament. It's, it's a nation. It's monkey bait in their national sport. They love a monkey, they love to monkey bait <laughs> in Gibraltar. No, um, I think Gibraltar's a brilliant story and I think they're, they're welcome. Really? It. That's patronising. They're as valid a nation as England. In fact, they're probably more valid a nation than England. It's like one of four, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Gibraltar's more, more of an... I think, you can't say Gibraltar's a pathetic thing. It's a tiny country. They've you got should, every right to play. You should have a, an interview before you're allowed to compete where you're asked what your aims, targets, hopes and dreams are and to say that you hope to score a goal is not sufficient. I disagree, fundamentally. Gibraltar shouldn't be there, should they, Tony? I don't think they should. But, of course, uh, Gibraltar scored to equalise, so it was 1-1 between Scotland and Gibraltar. I enjoyed the the slightly sneering tone of some of the English coverage of the Gibraltar scoring against the Scots, as though though San Marino never never scored against England. Uh It's ridiculous. Uh In seven seconds. In seven seconds. But think about that. That that is my favourite group, Scotland's group, because it's the group of death, isn't it? They're all good groups. Who's okay? Prediction's. Group D it is, currently topped by Poland. Who knew? Germany, then Germany, then Scotland, then Ireland. Gibraltar are bottom, surprise, surprise. So what's going to be the one, two, three in that group, Tony? um, Germany, Poland, Ireland. No Scotland? No Scotland. (gasps) Rory? Well, I'm biased, but yeah, Germany, Poland, Scotland. That's what I'd go for. But what a group. Great group. They're all good groups, apart from England's group. And so we come on to our debate. This summer's under-21 finals in the Czech Republic ought to be a marker for England's future success and treated with the utmost respect. And yet, given that England faced Germany in an under-21 friendly tonight, that's Monday, Monday night, it is worth a reminder that in 2009, Germany beat England to win the under-21 title and guess what? Manuel Neuer, Mesut Ozil, Benedict Huvedes, Jerome Boateng, Sami Khedira and Mats Hummels went on to star in Brazil. Is that relevant? I mean, is that the template for how we treat under-21s? You could say, oh, that's just an aberration, just as the way Germany did it. But it seems to me a reasonable starting point for why we should take the under-21s seriously and think about who plays in them, Rory. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I think we've, we've, we've overlooked the 21s and all of the age group teams for far too long. We've had this policy of as soon as a 17-year-old does OK, he gets invited into the World Cup squad. I think that's totally and utterly wrong-headed and self-destructive. You build teams through the 21s. And it's not just what the Germans have done, it's what the Spanish did. It's where the Spanish generation came from. It's what the French did before them. It's what everybody does around the world, except England and Lo and behold, around the world, other teams win tournaments and England don't. So I think it, it's probably worth thinking, all right, maybe we've just got this one wrong and we'll start changing it. And to be fair to Gareth Southgate, they are. They are starting well, to change I mean, it. this is where we go back to Harry Kane, who's actually, you know, deserves a place and is at the right age to be in the, the, the yeah, proper squads. But, you know, what we've seen over the years is too many people who should have been playing age group football and under-21 football thrown into the lion's den of the first team and they weren't ready for it and they weren't good enough for it and in most businesses you have a progression you know if you you promote people to the very top of the business they'll drown because they're not good enough except in football 
in English football in England. There's the, the you know, so I'm agreeing with Rory again, and it's wrong um, <laughs> for me to do that. But like they've they've done this, and they should have been playing at that level, developing at that level, and taking another step forward. So the fact that Kane is now going to go to the Czech Republic in the summer, despite the fact that, as Tony says, he's a he's a fully fledged international. He is at the age where he's 21. He should be stepping up anyway, but he will go in the summer, and that's really that's crucial because he will get that experience. He doesn't have football. to though, does he? That's the point. But he really wants to because Harry Kane is wonderful, and everything about him is wonderful, and he does all the right but things. But what if what if? Pochettino at Spurs says I'm a bit worried that your stats show me that you're going to burn out if you well, play in the I think the, the, greater, the greater worry is from that point of view, and that is something that should be taken into consideration, mm-hmm. the greater worry there is not so much for Pochettino and Spurs, but I wonder if it's for England in the summer of 2016. Because if Kane's played this one season, he'll be exhausted at the end of the season, just emotionally it would have been very draining for him. He then goes to the Czech Republic, where England I think will do quite well, but he then gets a, a shortened summer break, he has another season for Spurs where he's really important. It could go just as well and it will be very stressful. If it doesn't go as well, it will be stressful because it's second season syndrome. And he then has to go to the Euros with it, with England. I think we can all probably agree that he's likely to be part of the senior squad as things stand. So it's at that point where you might think this fellow's not on a break for two years and that's when it might be a problem. But I think he should go. I think he should go. Well, and, and you know, so, so he'll be thinking, uh, looking at that list of German names who went on to doing it and thinking, no, well, yeah. Exactly, and um, you don't get the chance to win a tournament very often, wherever age group. And how many of England won? One. Well, they won the they won they won the seventeens last year. Yeah, they won the seventeens, but I mean they don't win many. So you know it's a chance to do that, and um, I think it's probably the, the, the right move. Yeah, Tottenham will be unhappy, but you know what? Clubs find a way to be unhappy. However, the players get treated at an international level. Clubs don't like international football. Uh, I think England won under twenty one level in. 82 and 84. Oh, well, you know, I wouldn't remember that, would I? I mean, you I know... Barely I barely remember. I, I, I don't think I was born then, was I? I tell you what, well, I was born in 82, but I tell you what happened in 1990, six years after that under-21 generation last won the under-21 tournament, and that's the in the not the semi-finals of the World Cup. Almost as though there's a link. You have to have a priority. At some, at some point, the national teams have to say, actually, we're more important than you, or uh, we're at least as important as you. And, I mean, I think what Hodgson's done in terms of sending players back for, because of the friendly is probably politically quite intelligent and... In terms of diplomacy, it's quite a good idea. But at some point, the, the FA has to say, look, actually, this is kind of a, this is a part of football as well. You don't have to deal with it. So they want Harry Kane in the Czech Republic. Harry Kane wants to be in the Czech Republic. I'm certain Spurs don't want him to be yeah. there. But ultimately, if the national team wants that and the player wants it, it's his choice. He, can, he should go. And but I, think- I can see it now. Harry Kane... I agree he, he, he'd love to go, but I can see him having just a little hamstring tweak or something minor... It, uh, it will take very little for no, it to be tragi- deemed the, the impossible will play out to differently, won't it? The first game over there in the, the Euros, you'll get that cruciate ligament yeah. injury Rory's talking about. And then, as I say, by the time the Championships in France come around next year, you'll be at Forest. <laughs> Rebuilding his shattered career. Well, this, is, you... this is not something we want to happen, we should say this. It's just that there it's is... It's been mentioned far too there often. There is a tragic... <laughs> do, you know, do, do you know who... Ben Machel, who works for us on Features and went to school with me, wrote a piece for Vice about it, which I suggest that people dig out, that there is there is a looming sense of tragedy with Harry Kane's. It's just too good to be true. It's like in the soap opera, when Lassiter's is, is thriving and Paul Robinson's doing great business. You know that at some point it's going to burn down. That's what's happening here, anyway. We're talking theoretically. Can you uh, impose that sense of... 
duty and honour and it being a beautiful thing on the players when you have someone like Callum Chambers feeling it's important to go public and say it is an honour to be called up by the under-21s. If you have to remind the nation that yeah, what you're doing is an honour, please, please believe me, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't a, demotion. This doesn't mean I'm a really rubbish I, player. Yeah, well, you know what? You know what? It's... it's, it's whether you take what footballers say at face value or mm. not, because what, they do, what you do is you put them in a press conference situation and people ask questions and they say what the world wants to hear. So, you know, oh, you know, you, you know you're playing for the under-21s, how do you feel about it? Well, it's an honour. He's not going to say, well, you know what? That Hodgson left me <laughs> off the first team. And, you know, I'm not happy. I should be playing with the big boys. He's not yeah, going to say that, is yeah, he? I don't blame him for saying what he said at all, but that's the that's the point. That's the agenda, isn't it? That we've, we've reached a point where if you're playing for the under-21s, for the most part, it's seen as a demotion. It is, you can't it, change that in the next few weeks, but can that, we? That's always been the case, and it is, and that, and that is a problem, that the players have been taught by football kind of authorities in the establishment that the 21s is either a silver medal or a wooden spoon, basically. And the clubs have reinforced that by consistently pulling players out of the 21s as though it doesn't matter. And you've created this, this atmosphere where the players at best see it as something they, they could do without and at worst think of it as an insult, as some sort of demotion. And that's, that's really problematic. So yes, I agree that Callum Chambers having to come out and point out that it's an honour to be yeah. selected to play for your country suggests that there is a problem. The fact that Callum Chambers has said it is an honour to play in the 21s is probably part of the solution to the problem. Yes. Anyone got theories why... Tom Ince doesn't want to play for the under twenty one. Tom Ince is weird. He's what? really weird. He's got a weird. There's something weird going on there. Well, his dad. You know, they've made. It seems to me, and they'll undoubtedly disagree. Bad choices at every turn. Apparently, Monaco offered him a, a, a huge contract, and and he wanted parity with Hammers. You know, yeah, and. He's better than Hammers, says uh, says Paul. Uh, yes, well, like uh, don't call us. But what what's and Ollie, Ollie Kay wrote wrote something about this that should be compulsory reading for anyone in, investigating the Tom Ince phenomenon, <laughs> pointing out that he went to Blackpool from Liverpool for less money. There was a point when Liverpool were really keen on him as a young player. They wanted to offer him a contract and he turned it down because he felt they weren't offering him enough. Fine, usual story of football agreed. He then goes to Blackpool for less money because he wants to rebuild his career, which suggests that it's not a story just about greed. He then turns down into Milan. This is the first time anyone will ever use this sentence for, <laughs> for Hull City. And again, it comes out and says that that's because he didn't, he didn't want to just go and sit at a big club and earn a lot of money. So... I can't. That's why I say it's weird. It's just that there's, there's something very odd about the way that the whole Tomlinson's career is being managed. It's it not just. Really it's not just sense. the choices. It's not just that he's on the verge of lots of things and they don't come off. And there seems to be a lot of U-turns in his career. It's also that whenever he works with a manager, they always seem chuffed to bits to have him, and they never play him, mm. which is yeah. peculiar. Yeah, yeah. Does he not train hard enough? Does he not listen to instructions? Does he feel he's above the other players because his dad's falling? What's I, I, going on? I think he's got a lot of talent, but he doesn't hear teams enough. Mm. You know, he picks up the ball too deep and um, and he doesn't run at people often enough. So and the perfect solution would be to go to the European Championships and become I, a bit of a star, I do it? not understand at all why he's turned down the 21s. I, I just, I don't... He's done the hard work. He was part of qualification. That's the it boring is. bit. I mean, you can overthink things, and I, I, you know, it probably isn't helpful if, you're, if your father was a world-famous player. It can't be But helpful. a world-famous player who also said that there was a quote from Paul Lynch from 97, I think, saying that it was disgraceful to ever turn down the chance to represent your country. So I, I find it very strange to think that Paul has had any influence on Tom's decision not to go on the, oh, oh, the 21s. Oh, oh. There, well, there is something going on, because I've also read the Ince family story where he, he's spoken about how both his parents are terribly supportive and intelligent and thoughtful and they think things through. 
So why why is he the one player who seems to make consistently odd Bizarre. choices? It's, it's 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 a shame because I think he has got talent. Uh, we should also say that England are in terms of the twenty ones. England should do quite well. They have to play Portugal, Sweden, Sweden, and Italy. And Italy. Do you think they're capable of winning all three? Yes, I do because the Portuguese have got some good players. There's some good young Portuguese players. Sweden, I won't pretend to know a lot about. The Italians have got a re- have got an even worse approach to the youth than the English do. In, 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 uh, in Portugal, donkey beating's a national sport. In Sweden, it's reindeer, <laughs> reindeer yeah. murdering, and, um, and and who else? In Italy, it's a, it's um, bigamy. <laughs> bigamy. Now we're going to move on to Gab's favourite part of the show. He calls them quick hits. I'm going to call them moderately fast. In other words, there's no gadgets going bleep bleep. I don't like gadgets. And uh, I'm really interested in what Rory and Tony have to say, so I'm not going to cut them off. There has been a bit of a Barney, Tony, over Karen Brady being misquoted. She said West Ham were underachieving, not underperforming. Does it matter which under she meant? Will she and the rest of the West Ham board want Sam Allardyce to stay beyond the summer in any case? No, I mean, you know, let's face it, it doesn't matter what they say over there, they don't like Allardyce. They don't like Allardyce, and to be frank, Allardyce doesn't like them. I think they may be surprised that when they replace him with someone, Gus Poyer, anyone, who's, who's, a, who's, a, who's not a very good manager, with a um, with form for taking people down towards the drop zone, they wouldn't like to go into that Olympic stadium uh, in the Championship, and Allardyce would assure them of uh, Premier League action, I think. So uh, be careful what you wish for, Karen Brady. You might find yourself under the Premier League. <laughs> nice Very one. Good. Oh, clever, clever, yeah. clever. Although you've not upset Alison by insulting Dust Poyer. Alison is a great defender of Dust Poyer for reasons that no one quite understands. Lovely oh. man. But it's worth pointing out it, uh, Sam Allardyce cared whether it was underachieving or underperforming. The problem with Sam Allardyce is that Sam Allardyce is actually quite a good coach, but he's so full of himself that you automatically want him to fail at all times. Exactly. Yeah. That is the problem with Allardyce. He is much better than you think he is, and it, he deserves much more respect, but he doesn't get it because he is so smug. Peter Schmeichel thinks United would allow Zlatan to unleash his inner diva, or something like that. Your thoughts, Rory, on a possible transfer to Manchester for Ibrahimovic? Yeah, you get slow news weeks, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, just no. He's 33, he's just renewed his contract at PSG. I don't think that he is anything, an answer to any of the questions that there are about Manchester United. It would be great because he's a brilliant player and he's a, he's a brilliant kind of figure and it would be brilliant for, for everyone to watch, but it, from a, on a football sense, it makes no sense at all and I suspect it's not true. Jose, Mar- <laughs> you're not going to like this one either. Jose Mourinho is apparently thinking about plucking Emmanuel Adebayor from his North London obscurity. This would be a stroke of genius, wouldn't it, Tony? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be great. But he's just Jose's sort of player. You know, you can see Jose sitting there with a list of players he wants. Like Rory said, it's a slow news week. <laughs> not going to happen. Never going to happen. It'd be a thing of beauty if it did, because within seconds that have fallen out, and the ructions in the, that Chelsea dressing room would be brilliant. But not going to happen. Was Jose manager at Real when Adebayo was there? Yeah. So he's done it before. Yeah. That makes it's no sense. It's not entirely stupid, is it? Oh, come on, he only ever plays new strikers for 20 minutes anyway. That's probably all he's thinking about. Well, you know, one of the problems with Chelsea's squad is that he's got lots of players he doesn't trust, you know, and um, and so he, he's, he's played the, basically the first 11, 12, 13 too often. And so why would he bring in another player he doesn't trust? Yeah, exactly. Mark Hughes has extended his contract until 
2019, Rory. Is this his reward for keeping Stoke completely devoid of interest? You are part of the problem, Alison, not part of the solution. Stoke are not devoid of interest. Stoke are an amazing story. Stoke, five years ago, had not been in the top flight for donkey's years, baited donkey's years, and <laughs> now are, like, ninth. And they're mid-table, and they're not, you know, they're not, they're not beautiful to watch, but very few teams in England are beautiful to watch. They're all right to watch. They're okay. They're, I mean, they're not, they're, they're not pretty, but they're, you know, they're okay to watch. Mm. They've got a really noisy stadium, it's very windy there, and Hughes has done a good job. We should talk more about Stoke, and we should talk more about Swansea, and these teams who have kind of usurped the natural order a little bit, rather than just continually going, ooh, who shall Manchester United spend 150 million quid on this year? It's ridiculous. Stoke are a good footballing story. Well Stoke done, are well a good done, footballing Hughes. story, thanks to Tony Pulis. Again, yeah, but Hughes has continued that work. Hughes, again, like Allardyce, there's part of you that kind of thinks that Mark Hughes would be more popular if he didn't continually blame referees for every game he's lost, because it's really irritating. And his default position is one of complete distaste for what he's watching. I once shared, fascinating fact, I once shared a business class flight with Mark Hughes. Just the two years. It wasn't, it was... Um, more. It was... Me, Sparky, Carlos Tevez, Gareth Barry and two other City players flying out to Abu Dhabi. And Did you play poker? No, we didn't, but Carlos Tevez was sleeping with like a rag on his head, like a do-rag, uh, which he lost when he woke up, and I've never seen a man look so panicked. And Mark Hughes very kindly offered me some chewing gum when the flight landed. OK, my Mark Hughes story is, at the birth of the Premier League, I helped to make an advert for the Premier League, and he was one of the stars in the advert, and uh, a friend of mine had asked me to buy a newborn Manchester United kit for him to sign and I said I don't want to do this I'm you know I'm I'm working but anyway it was his first baby and he was a big Man United fan so I went up to Mark Hughes I said I'm really sorry but um, would you mind signing this baby grow and uh, Mark Hughes absolutely melted oh it's gorgeous I didn't know they made them this tiny it's so lovely I think I'm going to cry so he's (laughs) I wasn't expecting that response he got very emotional well done Mark Hughes well done Mark Hughes and your Mark Hughes story I don't have a Mark Hughes story. Okay, fair enough. We'll move on. Arsene Wenger says he would like to keep Theo Walcott, but, Tony, would the winger be better off at a club that would start him every game? Well, yeah. Um, And when Arsene Wenger says he'd like to keep Theo Walcott, I'd treat that with a little bit of caution. There's there's increasing speculation that he'll be out of there in the summer. Uh, The whispers coming from the Emirates suggest there's not that much future for him there. And uh, I know they... They'd like to ship him off to, off to Liverpool, who were interested in him before. I'm not really sure that's a viable option. But you know what? Wenger's got loads of attacking options there, and he's got quite a bit of pace. And it may be that he's reached the end of Walcott underachieving and being injured. Why, you know? why has he never played him through the middle? That's a question that Theo would probably like answering as well, because that's where Walcott's always seen himself. I think he doesn't trust him through the middle. I think that's, it's, mm. it's as simple as that. I think he thinks, sees Walcott as a straight-line player. And he doesn't yeah, and, like straight line players. And I think Walcott sees himself as Thierry Henry yeah. and Wenger laughs at mm. the very But I disagree. Idea. I disagree on one point. I think I think Walcott would be quite a clever signing for Liverpool. Might be a clever signing, but would they pay him? The sort of money oh, yeah, but, yeah, we, but probably not, no. Fernando Torres, speaking of Liverpool, says the cop made him feel he could fly. Rory, was his move to Chelsea among the worst decisions made by a player while beloved at Liverpool? I found all this, and it's something Evo mentioned in his column this morning, I find I find the reverence for him and Suarez, two players who've done all they could to get out of Anfield as quickly as possible, 
the, the reverence for when they turn back. When they turn back, absolutely remarkable. Uh, we're talking about Fernando Torres, of course, because he returned to Anfield for that uh, star-studded charity match. Um, yeah, obviously Torres to Chelsea was a really bad idea. In hindsight, at the, at, the, at the time, it was quite a sensible thing for him to do from a personal point of view. You don't know whether he might he might have faded just as much at Liverpool as he did at Chelsea. You can't be sure. He was already fading when he left. He he hadn't actually played that well for Liverpool for about six months. Except against Chelsea, because he always liked playing against Chelsea because he didn't like John Terry. Uh, so yes, terrible decision. I, I think it's quite nice actually that Torres has kind of reinvented himself a little bit at Atletico Madrid. I, there, is a, there is a tragedy to Torres' story and I'm glad that it might have a relatively happy ending. Can I just apologise to listeners for Rory's misuse of the word tragedy throughout this podcast? No, there's a, there's such a thing as a human someone tragedy. Someone has to die. Someone has there's to die. It's a human tragedy. No, human. someone has so to what's die. The, what's Rory? the word I'm looking for? Travesty. No, it's not travesty, that's different. Um, poignancy. There's a poignancy to, to Torres' yeah, story. Yeah, go, go with poignancy right. from now on. There is a poignancy to Fernando Torres' story, and I'm glad that he. it looks like he might have a relatively happy ending. This whole conversation's tragic. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Alison, one for you. Uh, Premier League clubs are giving one billion English pounds to grassroots and lower league football. Is this impressive generosity by the sharing league, or is it just the very least they could do, given their immense wealth? It is nicer than a £50 MS voucher. It represents a 40% increase on previous charitable donations, but the amount of money they're receiving via TV deals has gone up by 70%. So you could argue it's not that generous after all. Most of the money is parachute payments, which does smack of it being looking after the people you know, but in-house. It's not really encouraging fresh blood. I think very little of the money goes to grassroots. Most of it is is keeping it in the family, if you like. And there is a a commitment to paying the living wage, uh, which is great. But again, most of the people who are on a non-living wage are not employed directly by the clubs, so it doesn't uh, reach that far. So, you know, it's nice, but it could be nicer. Great PR, great headline. The reality is... Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. My thanks go to my cohorts today, Rory Smith and Tony Evans. Remember to check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Members get exclusive football, rugby and cricket highlights free as part of their subscription. If you're not a member yet, take up the £1 digital trial by searching for Time Sport online. Gab will be back in the chair next week, so do join us for that. In the meantime, this is Alison Rudd signing out. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification and you're away. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.